Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I am a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I am grateful for the opportunities to have created nationally recognized programs and for building the framework to bring 4 million nurses from across the country into the innovation space. I get to connect regularly with healthcare leaders and frontline professionals to talk about ways to improve patient outcomes, access, cost efficiencies, and clinical workflows. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform healthcare. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have heard otherwise. This is their opportunity to share with you what they see in their crystal ball through their unique lens and perspective in healthcare and what we can anticipate as a result. Today, I have with me Julia Gear, seasoned healthcare professional specializing in commercialization of leading edge and several first-in-class healthcare technologies. Julia, welcome today. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you. And I want to sort of talk a little bit today about the space that you're in and what you see coming down the road or maybe around the next corner. Sure. So I've been focusing on digital healthcare technologies really exclusively for probably the last five years. And I know that's a very big umbrella of technologies. But really, it's the incorporation and the up-leveling of software in the healthcare world. And anywhere from niche clinical solutions to large enterprise operational solutions. So it's been really interesting to give a really unique perspective because in addition to working with the innovation teams at various companies, I also get a really good picture and understanding of how these technologies, these concepts actually translate when it comes to humans. And I think that's one of the really interesting things that I've always been fascinated about in innovation, particularly in healthcare, because in most other industries, when there's you know something that changes, there's a big innovation, a lot of times the the end of the line of the innovation is actually a machine or a process or some sort of automation. And yet in healthcare, almost always the end of the line is human. And that just make, you know, we're, we are complicated systems as humans. And that just makes for so much amazingness, amazingness in challenges, but also amazingness in connecting to meaningful work and really trying to make this, this, this place that we inhabit a little bit better and a little bit happier. I love that. Can you give us sort of a couple, give us a glimpse inside your brain here. Give us a few examples of sort of what you're thinking in terms of these technologies and how they can actually help improve not only the world, but sort of the the human approach. Sure. So we have the the confluence of a a number of things that are really coming together now. We have an infrastructure, like a consumer tech infrastructure. We've got 5G now that's available. We have have computers in our pockets. We have 
some tremendous advancements in data science that are kind of all coming together to support a new way of operating in healthcare. And so that's sort of going on on the technology side of things. And then there's, you know, a brand new set of of healthcare economics that really influence adoption of practice, of protocols, procedures, you name it. And then we have some really interesting things that have happened in healthcare over the last few years, one of which is uh, the Human Connect Home project that was that was funded and has given us all this insight into the way that our you know our brains are, our brains work, our brains function, our brains process information that we never had before. And it's giving us really some amazing new insights on how to transform how we look at patient care. And contemporary medicine really has come up in a very regional way, meaning if there's something wrong with your knee, you know, they really focus on your knee, they image your knee, they, they look at your knee. But, you know, sometimes that might actually be an issue in the hip or it might be an issue that's somewhere else in your body, for example, and really good at understanding the body. But now we're now we're moving into a phase of really understanding the mind and the body connection. And how to roll that out and adapt that in healthcare so that they're not being treated separately, but as an integrated system. So how do you see that being used? Do you see that as part of a patient's trip or maybe an annual preventative visit with their provider? How do you see that kind of plugging in with the healthcare ecosystem that we have? Or do we require further disruption to really bring that into it? I believe we require further disruption. I believe that, you know, COVID-19 was actually a really, you know, uh, I guess blessing is, is, you know, a good word for it, catalyst to get our healthcare systems to think about distributing care in a different way so that really the, the hospitals and the clinics can focus on truly acute and everything else can be more distributed, a lot more in the home. Telemedicine broke open. Part of that has to do with the regulations and the healthcare economics opening up to support that and having technology to be able to do it. And I think that that is not going to go away. It also gives us a, a more of a glimpse into the lifestyle of people and what is, you know, what are the, what are the 15 things that happen? before they actually step into the doctor's office when there's an issue going on. And to be able to censor that, monitor that, um, do an intervention in that a lot earlier in the cycle of disease so that things don't get so acute, I think we have the technology infrastructure to really be able to make that a reality now. And that was not the case, uh, I would say, even five years ago. Now, actually executing on that is a whole different, whole different story because it requires a lot of behavior management and behavior change that from, from both the, from the provider side and from the patient side as well, that will be really new. And in the end, I believe that it will really make this 
holistic approach. And by by holistic, I mean by whole person, like you're really going to be seeing all different sides of that person to get them to a place of wellness in a, in a way that we really didn't look at that before. Well, you know what? I think that's an amazing point because we talk about holistic care a lot, but we've really not advanced that a tremendous amount just yet. And we we tend to be able to only do one thing at a time, not really to, to walk and chew gum. So we focus on cost and then really do a lot of work around that. And then we'll say we have a lot of amazing technologies and then we come back to who's going to pay for that. So it feels like these could be disparate pieces or they could be highly connected. How do you see a more holistic approach connecting in with something like data sensors or wearables and then also pull into that equation, who's going to pay for it and how does that work? Mm -hmm. Good question. So again, I think this is an area where some building blocks are in place, you know, covered life situations like Kaiser like a, um, like, you know, is a good example of a covered life situation. And now even insurance companies, there's a lot of insurance companies that are employing physician groups to really manage the covered lives in a different way and leave the, the delivery networks to focus on the more acute care. And there's some legislation in place now that's, you know, relatively new. I mean, you know, typically it takes seven to 10 years to change clinical practice. And so, even though some of the legislation that is in place today, um, you think, oh, well, that got signed a while ago. It takes a while to really get that that practice to change and to really like operationalize those things. And so that will continue to that will continue to grow. And the more hospitals, the healthcare systems, providers, provider networks are incentivized to look at the total cost of care for the patient overall versus the fee-per-service model that we had seen as the standard of healthcare economics for so many years, as that starts to change, that leaves room to to innovate in, in this way. The other thing is that there is a huge influx of money from the from private investment firms into this digital health space. It's been really amazing because I'm based in San Francisco. And even two years ago, it was sort of this like nice idea to get into, but it didn't match the consumer, you know, it didn't match the consumer um, timelines and the consumer returns that they were used to in companies like Airbnb and Facebook and some of the giants um, in Silicon Valley. And so the investors were a little bit hesitant to really get into this space. And now all of a sudden there is a huge influx of money. Everyone is getting in. And so that will help, that will help fund the innovation. And then if the innovation is done well with a really good eye on the pay, you know, the overall cost of care to the patient, it will be a no brainer for, um, for healthcare entities to really look at how do we change the way we deliver this care so that our total cost is lower. And when that happens and the clinical outcomes are as good or better than the old school model, then we get, you know, then we get the the drive of reimbursement models changing as well. And so 
I think there are some really smart minds that have a keen eye to this. I think that primary care is is getting blown up, blown up, innovated first, if you will, like with companies like One Medical and Forward. I don't know if you're familiar with Forward, but they are doing some really awesome, very progressive healthcare management with sensors, wearables, really advanced technology to keep the well patient well, you know, to, to not get so many people down the line of being so acutely sick. I think the specialty services will still be um, in the hospitals, but even those specialty services will have a lot more consumer tech grade enabled care going on in the home, not just in the clinic. And when I say consumer tech grade, when I talk, when I talk about technology and you were a nurse, you are a nurse, you were a nurse for so many years. And it's, you know, it's this interesting thing in healthcare. It was so advanced in what the guts of the machine or, you know, making sure that the function was exactly what we needed it to be. And the advancement was there, but so many times the user design and all the things that, that make it really easy to use was was sacrificed. And we're, we're at a place now where those things can come together, which will be amazing to provide the right information for the right patient at the right time. That sounds really cool. And by the way, I am still a nurse, so don't demote me just yet. I know. <laughs> but you probably wouldn't want me taking care of you at the bedside. So what's interesting about this is, if I recall correctly, didn't Apple sort of pull back on the release of the newest Apple Watch so they could add the SPO2, the EKG, and the temperature to this newest version? Yeah, that's correct. We've seen incredible advancements from some of the some of the traditional tech companies with um, helping to integrate that care. Fitbit also, I believe in their in their latest in their latest model, there's a really sophisticated heart rate variability sensor in their in their new Fitbit as well. And these are, you know, these are really sophisticated sensors and measuring systems that used to literally only be available in some of our advanced clinics, right? Like not even in the regular primary care doctor's office, but really in the advanced clinics. And now you're, you know, you're able to to buy them and the you know, is the efficacy of it, the sensitivity of it as good as it is in the clinic, maybe not quite, but it's close enough that it's still clinically relevant. And that is what's really, really important. And as we're having this conversation and the listeners may be thinking, you know, gosh, there's a lot of talk about all this information coming in and how is this data, you know, how is this data going to actually be processed and analyzed and appropriate so that decisions, appropriate decisions can, can be made. And this is where we're seeing artificial intelligence come into healthcare really truly at this stage as a technology. I always think about things as like, you know, things are kind of a concept and then they're a research technology and then they become a market relevant technology somewhere along the way and then a product and then a full commercial solution. And I think with artificial intelligence, we're somewhere between that research technology and market relevant technology stage, but we're much more in the research technology phase than I think a lot of people would like to admit or believe um, because it is so needed. And yet 
to my earlier point about one of the fascinating things about innovations in healthcare is now we're incorporating artificial intelligence where humans, humans are at the end of it. And that takes a whole other set of design criteria, design values, design ethics that AI didn't necessarily need when it was optimizing machines. And mm-hmm. that is going to be critically important to how we aggregate and synthesize and make clinically relevant all this data that we will be able to have. Well, you know, this is an, it's an incredibly interesting concept because we've, you know, I've been a nurse for a very, very long time and we've talked about someday we would see this come. Now, essentially, as consumers, we've democratized the technology so that whether it's Garmin or Apple or Fitbit, millions and millions and millions of people are already walking around with this on their wrist. So the next step is how do we actually bring that data in to the right provider to do something with? And of course, the funnel that it has to work through is, as you said, really, there has to be some kind of an assessment or an analysis of what is this data telling us? Are there abnormalities here? Is this screening data that we should use for a disease process? Or are we just literally filtering, you know, billions and billions and billions of bits of data and every once in a while saying, oh, there's an anomaly we need to pay attention to? I think you're exactly, you're exactly right. That funnel is going to have to be AI simply because there aren't enough humans to do the work. We're not smart enough. We're too slow. And it's also an incredibly expensive labor model. So the only... The only thing left standing there are going to be AI models that allow us to filter that data and then just sort of pass them along to the providers. I don't think it's going to be a very long time, though, before we see that happening. What are, what are your thoughts around that? I agree with you. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, clinical practice usually takes seven to 10 years to change. I really believe that with the introduction of these technologies in a really meaningful way, we can, we can cut that down to more than, to more like four to six years, which might not sound so much like a cut down, but is actually really transformational. And if you think about that, we really started this a couple years ago, we're, we're getting close and data privacy, you know, patient privacy, HIPAA compliance, all of those things are, you know, all of those things are being worked out. Yet they are really important issues. There are a lot of opinions <laughs> from a lot of different people about what the right way to do that is. But the great thing is that that conversation is very active, and there will be there will be some falters. You know, there will definitely be some falters, but there will also be some really amazing things that come out of that. And the other thing that it uh, that wasn't around even four or five years ago were HIPAA compliance secure clouds. And now Google, Microsoft, um, Amazon, you know, they all have these amazing clouds that can allow that data to move at a pace that no healthcare system was able to manage in that way. They just they just couldn't. You know, it was only it was 10 years ago, I guess, that we were trying to push, you know, rather large medical images on a on a web server, you know, within a hospital from, you know, from where the images were being acquired to a physician workstation. And it would take 20, 30, 40 minutes. And 
you know, three years ago, we were, I was actually working for a wonderful medical imaging startup here in San Francisco that had the first cloud-based AI application for medical imaging analysis approved. And the biggest question we would get from providers when we would do demos in the hospital systems was, I don't believe, I don't believe your performance is as good as it is because we had such large data sets and the processing was instantaneous. And that was because we were taking advantage of, you know, cloud web services. So these are exponential amounts of data that can be processed in a really immediate on-demand amount of time that five years ago was not possible. And so it's really awesome to see that. And then, you know, one of the, one of my wonderful data science, uh, data science colleagues, we were having a discussion a, a couple of weeks ago about 5G and what will 5G do for, you know, do for enabling healthcare. And this is where distributed care really becomes a reality because you know, all of a sudden you've got 5G on your on your cell phone. And y- yes, you may have had 5G in your home, but now you've got it on your cell phone. And so the amount of the amount of data that can even be processed on or through your cell phone or get to your cell phone in a very, very quick amount of time, especially for urgent or emergent situations, it just really blows the doors open. Or if you think about some of the point like point of care ultrasound systems, for example, that you can put a probe into a cell phone and then you've got a 5G network to transport it to a doctor that might be in another state that can look at it right away and say, well, and there was a, I read something last week that was just real interesting and it was talking about 5G. We can't really even begin to imagine yet the impact that 5G is going to have on medicine because it virtually Mm -hmm. eliminates all latency. So it does to some degree change a little bit of the, motor skills, right? Muscle memory, because in, while we utilize telehealth and um, we can utilize sort of remote monitoring, there is latency. So what happens in San Francisco takes a couple seconds or so for me to see it here in Austin, Texas. With the 5G network, as I understand it, that's virtually eliminated. So I have to retrain my brain that instead of waiting a minute, when I see something, I'm seeing it now for real time. So the impact of that is is pretty cool and pretty profound. You you are exactly right. That was very well articulated. And you've lived through it too. You know, you've lived through it clinically of what what that latency can mean. It could it can it can literally make something clinically irrelevant, you know, because it's it, yes, it's a cool technology, but it makes it clinically irrelevant. And all of a sudden that becomes clinically relevant and it and it will also that will open up access to care to people that currently don't have it. Um, and that will be really important. Yeah, that well, and it's about time, right? We need to ensure that we mm-hmm. can instill the same level of care and the same quality of care everywhere in every corner of certainly our country as well as others. And and I think sometimes that's kind of the responsibility that many of us in healthcare have is how do we ensure that not only are we doing a good job here with every human, every citizen in our country, but then we're going to have to mm-hmm. look at, you know, from just a general old being a good human perspective, there are other countries that are farther behind that we're somehow going to have to find ways to help as well. Yeah. And, and one last thing, I, I think you said really, something really important about every human 
not every human has been represented in healthcare research for decades. And the digital availability of research will really accelerate making sure that every human is represented in research. And so every human will have an appropriate personalized plan to help them be well. And that is tremendously exciting. Yeah, that's it's it's incredible. That gets me very excited, not only for what cool things we're going to be doing in healthcare, but also it gets me excited about us as a species, as humans, to have this ability and then to import it for good, right? So especially at a time that we're experiencing a, a little bit of darkness in our history, you know, mm-hmm. we really need to be thinking about the future. This is a blip on the radar screen and we'll get through this harvesting the lessons that we've learned from it. But ideally, you know, we'll be pivoting very shortly into the future post-COVID. And there is tremendous opportunity. We just need to make sure that we bring everyone along with us and, and don't leave people behind. Absolutely. It's going to be very, it's going to be a very exciting renaissance in healthcare over the next, I would say, five to 10 years. And, you know, it will be, it will end up being one of the blessings of COVID. I think you're right. And as you were talking earlier about sort of, um, you know, the innovation curve and the adoption of technology, I had a, a wonderful colleague who used to say that once they understood in the 1800s that um, vitamin C, lemons, limes, and oranges could actually prevent scurvy, it still took them 50 years to make sure that there was citrus on ships to avoid scurvy for seamen. So hopefully it won't take so us we've come a long years. way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. We've come a long way. Well, I so appreciate your time, Julia. It's always incredible. And I, I appreciate the fact that you've taken time out of this afternoon to, to spend it with me and, and share this. It's always wonderful um, information. Where can people find you on social media? So people can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to get a hold of me and find me these days. So just Julia Gear on LinkedIn. And that's G-E-E-R. So gear. Correct. So yeah, Julie's out there a lot sharing information and, and posting and stuff. So please take a look at her stuff. Thanks again, Julia, for being with me today and uh, certainly appreciate your time and thank you for listening and be sure to use innovation to your advantage. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics or guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health. 